It is the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 Zone Live from the Dish Professionals. Give him a call, 801-424-DISH. Let's get out to the zone phone. He covers, or he uh, hosts Pac-12 today for Sirius XM Radio. Does play-by-play as well. Uh, he is our good friend, Sean O'Connell. What's up, OC? Jake, Gordon, what's up? Here's one of the, how's the, one of the most talented guys I know doing these days? Well, you'll have to ask whoever you're referring to, but <laughs> I, I am doing well, Gordon, if that's Good. what you're asking. OC, how was your Father's Day? Man, it was cool. It was low-key. Um, we uh, took my sweet little Rowan to uh, the neighborhood pool, and she got brave enough to jump off the side, which was really cool. Uh, so did that about 100 times and then uh, just had some delightful dinner. My wife made her Indian butter chicken, which is excellent. So no complaints for me. How was your Father's Day? Yeah, man. Well, mine was amazing. I uh, got away from my children and played golf, so that was nice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, see, I don't know what you think about what Jake's plan is for his kids, but apparently he thinks they're indentured servants and he's going to uh, (laughs) Oh, they're going to work. (laughs) Yeah, they're going to work. I'm already making plans for my six-week-old. She's going to get a job by seven. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's going to be the strong work ethic. That's what I'm aiming for, OC. No, that's, that's, that's great. I, I had probably those plans uh, before my daughter was born. And since then, I think I've entered the Gordon Monson School of uh, just being owned by my daughters, yeah. which is fine. <laughs> which is fine. See, that's the way to do it. Which right? is fine. Yeah, I love, love having girls, though. Girls are the best. There's there's uh, no doubt about it. Oh, see, I, I'm curious. We want to have you on. Of course, we'll talk some college sports. I'm, I'm even curious to get to if you have any takes on the Utah Jazz. But I wanted to start out with uh, your thoughts on the Supreme Court ruling today and what uh, where, I guess, college college sports in general are going. Well, I mean, to me, the way I interpret it is, you know, this is separate from the name, image, and likeness stuff that's inevitably coming down in some ways. Like, uh, you know, name, image, and likeness is going to be a reality probably in the next couple of weeks here. And the NCAA, by choosing to continue to fight this battle, instead of just realizing it was lost and realizing that they have this loophole, this window where they themselves aren't the ones who have to incur the cost of paying student-athletes, they can just open the door and let sponsors and boosters and businesses pay it through advertising and things like that. They've they've continued to cling to this old system. And, you know, the more they get the Supreme Court involved, the more likely it is that those costs are going to be incurred eventually by schools themselves. So it feels like the NCAA is just shooting itself in the foot, which I guess we shouldn't be surprised by. But I thought it was pretty hilarious the way that, uh, that Justice Kavanaugh just dunked on the NCAA all morning. It was great. He did. And uh, let me ask you this. So, see, Jake and I were talking about it earlier. How expansive do you think this is going to become? Uh, this is supposed to be related to educational stuff. But, what I mean, are we going to get to the point where uh, where these guys are paid what they should be? You're a former uh, college athlete, uh, do you think they should be? And I, Jake and I are on other si- on opposite sides on this, and I have no idea what your opinion is, but I'm curious to know, one, where you think this is going, and two, where do you think it should go? Well, I think the, the slippery slope that everyone's going down means that all these, you know, these educational uh, benefits and the things that we're talking about, these extra costs incurred uh, by the NCAA and its member institutions, I, 
there's a case now, a legal case to be made for any and everything. Well, what about my transportation? I want my transportation to be provided for. And, you know, the BART is unreliable in the Bay Area, so I'm going to need a car or whatever, you know, and we're going to get into court battles for all of this stuff. So um, as far as my opinion on whether or not pay for play uh, from like we're talking about universities providing uh, larger than just a cost of living stipend, like uh, a salary or whatever you want to call it. I, I don't think that's necessary. I think two things are true. And I tweeted this out earlier today. It's ridiculous that college athletes in the modern age in a billion dollar industry cannot monetize themselves in any way. It's also ridiculous to say that a full ride scholarship to especially a Pac-12 university is not worth anything, right? I mean, I was a walk-on, and I saw the benefits that even scholarship athletes had over an average college student who had to work at a bar until 3 a.m. just to make things work. That I mean, these, these student athletes who are pretending like, oh, this is not worth it for me, all right, then don't do it. If the scholarship by itself is not worth it, then don't do it. No one's forcing you to be a student athlete. But if you're one of the rare people who can monetize themselves with autograph signings, with advertisements, you should absolutely have a right to do it. I just don't think it's going to be all that common that people can make real money doing that. And we're about to find out. See, I'm I'm with you, Sean. I think you I think you summed it up really well, and I, I agree with what you said right there. And I'm glad you said the two things can be true at at once, because I think oftentimes we get so and I'm guilty of this, by the way, big time. We get so caught up on quote unquote our side, we forget that you know the issues are are extraordinarily complex. With but with that in mind, I I worry a little bit about the opportunity for your. I don't want to say run-of-the-mill athlete per se, but your average college athlete, not your superstar football player, not your superstar basketball player, but your 99% of athletes who better their lives because of the opportunities that athletics uh, affords them. And as we get more and more concerned about the 1% that supposedly generate all the revenue, I hope that we don't lose track of, of the 99% that truly benefit from that opportunity. Yeah, I'm with you, but I don't think we will. I don't think we're going to pass those folks over because those folks are still going to have a scholarship, right? Just because name, image, and likeness is opening up, and maybe uh, a greater benefit from some, you know, like the cost of living stipend goes up again, whatever. That's not going to pass over the athlete that is the run of the mill Jack or Jane who's just there getting their scholarship, getting their school paid for, getting the free tutoring, getting the better meals than anyone else in college can afford at the the beautiful facilities. And, you know, they're being treated well as student-athletes, but we also don't know their name, don't know their story, don't know their their Instagram following, that kind of stuff. That's okay, right? I mean, that's that's the the college athlete that we've known for decades. Those people are still going to have scholarships and get free educations, and that, I will say it a million times, that is not nothing. So, see, does it, do you think, does it bother you and should it bother anyone that, that college coaches uh, make the kind of money they make when the athletes are, are, you know, making it possible for them to make that money? I mean, that's a complicated question for me because it's a, it's a market thing, right? Again, 
I, I, you and I both know have personal relationships with college coaches who have a hard time making a living, right? If you're an assistant at Idaho State University, you're not making crazy amounts of money. But that's because the market in Pocatello does not support the ticket sales and the booster donations and the things like that that would justify you having a larger salary. And I use the term justify very loosely here. To my knowledge, the University of Utah can afford to pay Kyle Whittingham his rather exorbitant salary. They can also, at the same time, afford to provide the beautiful meals that Chef Pete prepares inside that facility, the excellent academic help that they get in the tutoring spots, the great experiences and the extra equipment and all those things. It feels like college athletics supports all of the, all of these things right now. And if you started to take, I don't know, $500,000 off of a coach's, a coach's salary and distribute that evenly amongst his players or her players, they would still be making really good money. So they could afford that as well. I'm going to let other people decide what those rules will look like. At the end of the day, I, I'm not bothered by coaches making big money because the market pays for that. If those coaches at some point have to share some of that money with players, I won't be sad about that either. Well, see, I want to get your thoughts on the selection of George Klyavkov as the next uh, commissioner of the Pac-12. And what do you think uh, agenda item for him number one needs to be? Well, I think that agenda item number one changed pretty drastically as soon as the the new college football playoff model was revealed. A 12-team model, that, that was something he was going to be pushing for, college football playoff expansion. We talked to him on the program. We talked to him behind the scenes. And George Klyovkov knows that a, a place at the table for the Pac-12 was, if not job one for him, very close to job one for him. So now that that is more of an eventuality, I, I think that what he has to worry about now is the television deal, which was already 1A or 1B, right? Th- that distribution deal, the new, you know, deciding what to do with the Pac-12 network, maximizing television revenue uh, to be able to combat, you know, the rising cost of doing business in the Pac-12 conference and all other Power 5 conferences and really everywhere across the college football landscape. That's the thing that he needs to attack. And he said so in his press conference. He said so in pretty much every ensuing interview. He said so when he spoke privately with his athletic directors. He knows exactly what the job is. And I think he's got the resume and the experience and the connections to hopefully lead the Pac-12 in, if not an ideal path, at least a better path than they're on right now. Oh, see, what do you think of the 12-team playoff? Is that the right number, or is it too many? Is it too few? What do you think? I thought eight was the right number, uh, the 12-team playoff. And I think the reason that we're going to get you know, the, the powers that be to sign off on it is, is because the 12-team playoff – still benefit the bluest of blue bloods, right? For Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, the folks that are most likely to be that top four seed to get a bye is a massive, massive advantage. One fewer game to play against elite competition in college football on your way to a national championship, that is a huge benefit. Uh, and it, you know, keeps the regular season that that important to 
of utmost importance for some of those blue bloods. So the model is good. I probably would have preferred eight, but it's a good model, and I think it keeps almost everybody happy. Uh, but you had to keep the the biggest boys on the block happiest if you were ever going to get a college football playoff expansion. So I think this is kind of what we had to do to, to make it happen. Oh, see, the Jazz are out, which means it's not too early to ask questions like this. Uh, what storyline or storylines are you watching closely going into Utah fall camp? Well, the offensive line, I think that Phil Steele just put out a list. that He thinks that Utah has the fifth best offensive line in the entire country. Wow. Which means, uh, comparatively, he thinks that their offensive line is, is better than their defensive line is. Because I think he gave the Utes something like, 10 or 15 on the defensive line rating when compared to everyone else in the country. And obviously, you know, you take all those rankings with a grain of salt, but a lot of eyes are going to be on the quarterback battle. Is it going to be a cam rising finally recovering from the injury and coming back? Or is Charlie Brewer really the guy is that, you know, one of the underclassmen going to emerge for me, that matters very obviously, but it only matters so much if you're not getting great offensive line play. And the only way to win a conference championship, which is still the the carrot that Utah football is chasing, is you have to have elite line play on both sides. I think the defensive line will deliver that this year. The offensive line, I'm optimistic, but cautiously so. So I am going to be watching for the offensive line development more than anything because – you lost, unfortunately, tragically. You lost an elite talent at the running back position. That means your offensive line has to be that much better. If your quarterback battle is happening, it's either going to be a tough job for whoever wins that and steps in because of an offensive line, or it's going to be an easy job for that guy. And the offensive line is, is so key for the rest of thing of what Andy Ludwig and Kyle Whittingham and everyone else wants to do at Utah. That's the number one storyline for me. Come November, who are we going to be talking about as the best football player in the youth program? Devin Lloyd. Yeah. I, I mean, we're already talking about him that way, and justifiably so. He is a future NFL talent. I'm very happy to see that the University of Utah, after so many years of being a defensive line pipeline to the NFL, a defensive back pipeline to the NFL, in these last four or five years, the linebackers have, have risen to that level. And, you know, Devin Lloyd is, I think, the prototype, the perfect example of the kind of person that, that Kyle Whittingham and Morgan Scally want to bring into that defense. He, he is the gold standard, and I think he's going to be, you know, a potential All-American candidate. All right, OC, in your infinite wisdom, uh, tell us what happened to the Jazz. Why didn't they move on to the Western <laughs> Conference Finals? <laughs> and that's just living by the sword and dying by the sword, isn't it? When you're a team that jumps out to a 25-point lead because you're shooting hot from beyond the arc, if you start missing, you got to have plan B. you got to be able to get into the paint and score easy points just to stave off the run that the Clippers are making. You know, that that's my inexpert opinion on what I saw when Terrence Mann is going bananas and, you know, they're hitting 21 corner threes you got to be able to just stop the bleeding, slow the bleeding a little bit. And if you have to do that with an alley-oop to Rudy Gobert or, you know, anybody getting into the paint and scoring a layup, make it happen. But the Jazz, you know, saw the the uh, the lead dwindling, and they were trying to shoot their way back into a, 
a victory that you know they've gone cold. That's that's how I saw it, and it was that's what happens, right? When you're when you're a team that's trying to do it all with the new analytics world, and you're trying to do it all with the three point shooting, you're either going to live by that sword or die by it. What do you I think? think? I think that's one of the reasons that Quinn Snyder has talked so much this last season about the defensive end and that side of it bailing out the offense when that when those dry spells happen. But boy, I'll tell you, that was that was it was worse at the defensive end than it was at the offensive. You'll see. You know what, OC? I'll, I'll tell you this: I I agree with Gordon. I think they need some guys who are going to dig down deep and play some defense. And that's something you know a little bit about: a little toughness, a little hey, uh, you know, we're going to go out and just uh, as a matter of pride, not let this other team dunk on us. Uh, Gordon and I were talking that Rudy got a bad rap because he was trying to cover for everybody getting beat. They need they need somebody who's going to go win a fight for a million bucks. <laughs> well, basketball is the wrong place to find tough guys. So you gotta <laughs> you gotta establish that culture somehow. But uh, you know, I, that's the thing. I, before that series, I think I probably would have made the case that yeah, the Utah Jazz are as, as mentally and physically tough as NBA teams are. Right? You got you got some grit. You got some nasty dudes. You got some guys at least that'll be annoying and. And bother you, but you know you guys are far more expert on this stuff than I am. I, who do you want? I mean, Patrick Beverly's not coming to play in Utah. Draymond Green doesn't belong here. <laughs> yeah, we'll right. see. They'll have to draft it, maybe. Um, one, one more question for me, OC, and this is in the in the fight world. And I apologize for this is really a personal curiosity question. Does the uh, compensation for fighters does the does that structure need to change in the UFC? Does is Dana White going to ever come around to that, or is this just what we're what we're here to see? Uh, you know, the problem for fighters is there's no collective bargaining, there's no union, there's no solidarity between the superstars that are making the money that you know you can make a case that's how much they deserve. Although even those those superstars are probably undercompensated. There's no reason for Conor McGregor to share his money with the Sean O'Connells of that world, right? And because of that, the UFC gets to be the big bully on the block, and everyone else kind of does the same, although I'm proud to say that the company I'm working for, Professional Fighters League, is is narrowing the gap a little bit. Um, but all you have to do is you, you look at the – other professional sports leagues, and I think the NBA is kind of the gold standard. You guys maybe know the exact numbers, but I think 51% of the revenue goes to the players. It's it's pretty much an even split. And in the UFC, depending on what numbers you look at, it's anywhere from like 13 to 19% of the total revenue generated by the sport is given back to fighters. And, and that's way lower than the NHL, way lower than Major League Baseball, way lower than the NFL. That's lower than NASCAR. It's just, it's the bottom of the barrel. So if fighters can figure out some way, and collective bargaining might be the only way, but if fighters can figure out some way to get a larger piece of the pie, the pie itself is not too small. It's just their their serving of that pie that is really hurtful. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon, and I don't think it's going to change as long as Dana White is overseeing the business. But I don't know how much longer he's going to keep doing it. The guy's worth in the four or five hundred million dollar range at this point and unless he just loves it that much it's a lot of time it's a lot of stress it's a lot of effort 
and you don't need the money anymore. So we'll see how it goes. But the COC, I think you make an interesting point because maybe that's where the PFL uh, or other leagues, you know, we can give some other leagues some love, but uh, it can make some inroads because it's, it, you're right. It's, I mean, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's just the UFC being greedy. I mean, 13%, that is, that, that is, seems criminal to me, but he's just got such a stranglehold on the sport. It, it's going to take a, another league that does it better to take some of that talent away, I would think. Yeah, and, you know, I, I actually was surprised after the first season of the PFL that I won. I thought there would be more of an exodus from the UFC of guys that, you know, guys that I thought, guys that beat me that were making, you know, 50, 60 grand a fight who I don't know why they didn't see, well, I better than him, and he just won a million bucks. I should go over there. I thought that's what would happen, uh, but it, it didn't, not, at least not in droves. Uh, it's more of a trickle. And the PFL is doing a great job of scouting the right talent and and getting some people to come over. But it, it's going to be a slower process than I would have estimated. Uh, it just, you know, folks have this thing. You don't, if you play football growing up, you say, I want to make it to the NFL. And if suddenly the XFL came out and they were paying great money, I don't know if that would change the dream immediately for all those young kids, right? I think that they'd be like, oh, well, XFL, cool, but I'm a Cowboys fan. I want to go play for the Cowboys. I I grew up with that. That's how it is in the sport of mixed martial arts. You can do what I did. You can go to a place like the PFL uh, with peace of mind if you've already kind of scratched that UFC itch. But right now, and for the foreseeable future, a lot of fighters are like, well, i got to make it to the UFC. That's my aim. That's what I'm going for. And even if the UFC is only paying you ten grand to show up and another ten grand to win – you're not super likely to say, well, screw you, UFC. I'm going to go fight for the PFL just because they're paying more. I don't know why. I guess it's just a reputation thing and it's the longstanding dream thing. But my hope is, you know, PFL, we're only three seasons in. Hopefully by the time that we're five, six, ten years in, that dynamic will have shifted drastically. He hosts, of course, Pac-12 today on Sirius XM Radio, and he does uh, play-by-play for the PFL. And, of course, uh, he uh, joins us here on the big show. Oh, see, it's, it's great to hear your voice, man. We love you, and uh, congratulations on all your success. We'll be uh, continuing to tune in. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Uh, hashtag girl dads. I guess that's yeah. what we are. <laughs> We've got a few between us. I like it. <laughs> that's what we are. Thanks, yeah. O.C. Thank you, buddy. We appreciate it. Sean O'Connell. Uh, and you can follow him on Twitter, by the way, Real OC Sports. Uh, Sean, one of the, the good guys in the biz. I've got a girl dad t-shirt. Do you? Mm-hmm. You should wear it more. Wear it proudly. Well, Sean's got one. I've got two. You've got five. So that's eight between us. That's not bad. Yep. Yep, it's good. Yep. All right. More next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.